Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. After 16 years, 316 caps, and over 130 goals, Carly Lloyd's legendary U.S. national team career ends tonight. The Athletics' Meg Linehan had the chance to sit down for a rare, in-depth interview with Lloyd, where she opened up as she never has before, including about the change in her role with the national team after her 2015 World Cup final hat trick. I'm Alex Abnos, and this is Soccer on Tuesday, October 26th. Okay, Meg, thanks for joining the show. Uh, You've covered women's soccer for a long time. You've been around the game for a long time. What is your earliest memory of Carly Lloyd? I mean, I definitely think the thing that really stands out to me early on is the 2008 Olympic final. Um, But for me, the game that I think I saw her in person the first time was actually the send-off match for the 2012 London Olympics. and it's funny because we actually talked about that. She brought up this game and she admitted like she had a terrible game because it was in Philadelphia and she was super distracted because she had a whole bunch of people at the game. And she was like, yeah, I got pulled after a half and I, I didn't perform there. And I was like, this is definitely the first time I saw you play in person. So it was a really (laughs) funny, like weird overlap thing of, um, the, the way that different people can have like completely different memories of something. So, yeah, but I mean, you know, obviously with, with Carly, it's the things that stand out, I think in our memory of her is all of those kind of like big game performances, but 2008, 2012, and then 2015 is obviously the one that I think most people are going to have <laughs> there. They, yeah. they will remember where they were when they were watching the 2015 final. Yeah. Uh, for sure. I remember where I was. Uh, can you remind our listeners like what happened in the in the 2008 uh, performance? It's it's just like, you know, the the game winning goal, right? 20, in sure. 2008, this, that's such a weird time period for the U.S. Women's National Team, too, because the 2007 World Cup had gone so sideways for them mm-hmm. um, in terms of really being defeated by Brazil in a very kind of embarrassing, uncharacteristic fashion. And then to bounce back for 2008 in the Olympics was definitely this kind of like, you know, we got this kind of tidy narrative moment, but that was kind of like almost the, the dark ages to some extent of of the U S women's national team program. Like when you think about 99 and then you think about how the team changed in 2011 on right over the past decade, those the the aughts are always that time period where there isn't this kind of like nice storyline around um the u.s women's national team but the 2008 olympics was kind of the one exception to that i think yeah and so since she sort of bursted on the onto the scene around that time uh what was she like to cover over the years you know compared to other players compared to anybody yeah i mean carly lloyd it's really interesting and and 
she, I, I have found her just utterly fascinating to cover, right? And I think some of that really comes across in the story that I wrote this week for her retirement, but she is this very fascinating person. And she's always been, I would, I wouldn't even say closed off, but there is very much like this line that you can kind of see with Carly Lloyd and everything has always been super professional. And I think about, you know, like I've dealt with her over the years, I've talked to her over the years. um, But I think even seeing my side of the 2019 experience that she went through where, you know, I, I was at all of those send-off games across the U S and I watched her get the exact same question over and over again and watched her kind of always give this very professional, polite response and knowing that she was forced to do this every single time. I think it does kind of change your approach and your appreciation for, I think the fact that you know, we can do the best job that we can, but also these players are kind of going through the same process over and over and over again, right? Like the narrative has been kind of set and then they get to, there's limitations in how much they can actually try to change that narrative. And I think that was really one of the best examples I had ever seen of this, of like, I might be thinking something different about Carly and I might be trying to ask her very different questions than what she's getting, but also she is kind of facing this narrative of like, should she, should she be starting? Is she too old for this team? Like all of these sort of, and it's just the same stuff over and over and over again. And that, that really was, I think, eye opening in a way that I hadn't really seen it with other players. Yeah. And uh, we'll talk a little bit more about 2019 specifically later, because you did cover that with her, but uh, this interview that you did with her for this story that you have this week is is very different and had a very different feel. Uh, you talked with us a lot ab- about how Carly was just sort almost a different type of inter- interview subject this time around. Uh, in what way was it different? Yeah, I mean, you know firsthand I've been trying to pitch this kind of Carly Lloyd feature for pr- basically two years now, right? And so <laughs> pretty much, yeah. <laughs> Um, this was, I think the interview that I had always really hoped for. Right. But again, Carly Lloyd has never, she has been not reluctant, but I I think that there has been this kind of sense of, even if I share my emotions, right, I'm still going to get written off in this very specific way. And it has been very different from when she announced her retirement back in August, right? of how she has really shifted her approach and is willing to be more vulnerable in a public setting or with, you know, with media. And I think there she's been doing it in like post game zooms even, which I think is pretty remarkable for her because we, we never, it would have always been about the game itself. Right. But to sit Never down. about how she's feeling or, or yeah, or, I mean, like, I mean, you, you know, might get like a, or... you might get kind of this traditional Carly Lloyd little sarcastic comment, right? Or like, you know, some sort of acknowledgement, but you would not, she would not be giving you whole paragraphs talking about her emotional process to this moment. It just would not happen. So we are seeing right. this very different side of her right now. But then to go into this interview. Right. Like I I drove out to the Red Bulls training facility and sat and kind of watched the end of their training and and was waiting to talk to her for her to come back out. And I mean, we just sat on these bleachers for, again, like about 90 minutes 
and just talked. And it, it was fun. Like I had my notebook with me. I had taken all of these notes and I, like I had not specific things I, I really wanted to, to touch on, but like I had a couple things that I was like, oh, I, like if I have some specific questions, like these are what I want to get in. And instead the conversation went in a completely different direction. And I think she really wanted to talk about narratives and the way that her story has been told because what we have seen so so long is she does get really frustrated when she can't have control of her own story she's obviously like you know she's the protagonist in her journey right which makes sense but then she has this outside audience that doesn't understand her choices her approach all this sort of thing and so to kind of pick this apart and to have her willingly go into that territory for me, like, I mean, that when she said the word narratives on her own, I just like, I, I feel like I was on a higher plane of just like, this is the conversation I've always wanted to have with her because I have found it so fascinating when you think about it's my job to tell stories, but players have to inherently trust you to do so. Right. And in, and, the 2019 situation, the whole, her whole story there throughout that World Cup cycle, especially coming off t- 2015, where she became pretty credibly a, a global celebrity for her performance in that in that final. Um, she talked a lot about sort of what that next cycle was like for her and changing her role coming off the bench uh, for the most part for the 2019 World Cup, her relationship with Jill Ellis, the now former head coach of the U.S. national team. Uh, and she opened up about it, a lot of different aspects of it in this interview in a way that I I had never read uh, her do before. Can you sort of lay out what she said and, and what was going on uh, at that time? Yeah, I mean, I think that she has been a little open about how much she did not enjoy 2019 and kind of the journey to that. But I think, I mean, even looking at what happens in 2015, right, and how her life changes so drastically like you score a hat trick in a world cup final one of those shots is from midfield right like she suddenly has all of these new opportunities that she she didn't really have before like she was not the face of u.s soccer in any sort of meaningful way before 2015 and so to go from kind of this peak in 2015 through the next cycle where you do have she she has a shift in the position that she's playing. She goes from midfield to essentially like a number nine, right? So she has to add this new element to her game. She's now directly competing for a starting spot with Alex Morgan, right? And Alex Morgan um, is peaking, especially in like 2018 ahead of the World Cup. But you also have this kind of, you know, 2016 Olympics happens in there too. You have the early exit, right? So one of the big right. moments that we really talked about is, the disappointment coming out of Rio, she posts this story, like a a quote on Instagram about creativity, right. And and feeling stifled, which Jill Ellis sees on the flight home from Brazil. And is like, I don't, I don't care for that. Right. So there is this meeting, like Jill Ellis calls her and um, Carly Lloyd had this personal coach, James Galanis, which is a whole other story. We don't necessarily whole other thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but it it turns into this meeting of, you know, and here's where I think it was really interesting of you have two people walk into a room, right? 
and you have a player who is trying to be their best and trying to like stay on this team, right? Like this is, this is the hardest team to stay on. Um, and you also have a coach who's responsible for team tactics and cohesion and all, like all of this other stuff. So like you have two people with kind of very different goals walking into this room. And I think neither one of them is wrong. Right. And especially the way that they react to this meeting of Jill Ellis has these very good intentions of I'm trying to show you where, when you're successful, this is how the team is successful. Right. But that also requires critical feedback. And Carly walking out of that meeting thinking I'm never getting a, a good shot of, of playing for this team again. Right. Like I think that's the really, it's such a perfect example of how the coach player relationship is so difficult. And right. especially for the U S women's national team. And I think for me, it was really interesting of getting both sides of that story and understanding how both of them are coming into this meeting with those viewpoints and still walking away with those viewpoints. And both of them are still valid and how ha you have to hold that nuance at right. the same time of that. You, you can walk into this performance meeting with the best of intentions and a player still might walk away thinking I, I just got ripped apart. Right. Right. And that is such a delicate relationship to manage in a way that again, I have, I have real respect for coaches who can pull it off because it is just kind of an impossible ask sometimes I think. And especially again, this all kind of circles back to Carly Lloyd's storytelling about herself, right? Like that's where the, the kind of tension is for Carly of this becomes this fuel of, I mean, and I, I think she had a great quote there of she's just basically like, I'm going to make it impossible for you to cut me. And that's what she does through that, that 19 cycle, but she does get moved into this role kind of coming off the bench. And so there is so much, I think, legitimate pain for her that she feels like she's not even getting the chance to help the team. And again, like you think about what she did in 2015 to then not feel like she's even getting the opportunity to perform at the level she feels capable of. That is such a really fascinating and painful concept that I think there's just a lot there. And it was, it on, it really did. You could feel it when like, I, like I really got a sense of it when I spoke to her in person. Yeah. And I think that really, it really comes through that it just has been this very painful thing that has stuck with her in a way that it just will always, it will always be painful to her. Well, that's just one of a, of a few different sort of incidents or moments throughout her career that you covered uh, in the story. Uh, it's up on The Athletic right now. Of course, her final game with the U.S. Women's National Team is tonight in St. Paul, Minnesota. You are in town for that game. Uh, I think it's to be expected that with how much Carly Lloyd has sort of put into her career and how intensely she she uh, kind of takes on everything, I think it's to be expected, and she's talked about this, that she'll take at least a few years off uh, from soccer. Do you see her coming back in any capacity as a coach or a media person or as an owner even? Or is she going to go sort of the Michelle Akers route and kind of disappear into something else entirely? And Carly Lloyd uh, starts her own horse ranch. Um, sure. I mean, who knows? Maybe. 
I, what I, what I think was really interesting and this did not make it into the piece. Like, obviously, you know, we're trying to cram 20 years basically into 4,000 words, but you know, we were talking about kind of all the recent stuff that's happened within the end of Bussell. And I think the one thing that really stood out to me in our conversation about that is she goes, first of all, I don't want to talk about it because me saying stuff, like I'm way more interested to see people actually working on it. Right. Like, yeah, I, I, I'm able to say like, this is what I'd like to see, but really like, it doesn't change anything. So I thought that was a very, I mean, she's right. Um, but the part that she really, I think would be interested in, and, and I thought this was very cool is just, she's like, you know, as a player, I've kind of lived through all of it. And she's like, now, listen, don't get me wrong. Like, I don't think players should get everything that we ask for, right? Like there has to be some sort of limit, but there needs to be kind of this bridge between ownership and the players. And like, yes, you can have that front office role, maybe with a general manager or something like that, but there could be this kind of other specific person that really is working within the league potentially to bridge that group of like owners don't understand the day-to-day life or needs of players and to have someone maybe in that role where you could advocate for players, but also ensure that like, okay, we're not getting like too crazy with our asks. And so I said like, okay, let's say this job suddenly magically appears. Would you want to take it? And she's like, ah, not right now. (laughs) But I think that 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 is maybe something where there is that kind of need for someone who has lived through multiple professional leagues, maybe, right. Who has seen kind of the worst, maybe the best, maybe knows what the potential could be, what, what players aren't getting right now that would bring the league to the next level. Like that's a, that's a, that's something that I think would be worth an extra level of investment from the professional game. Well, it'll be very interesting to see what she ends up doing, if anything, in soccer post-retirement. Meg, uh, enjoy the game tonight uh, in St. Paul, and uh, I'll talk to you later. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks to Meg for joining the show. The United States plays South Korea tonight at 8 p.m. Eastern on FS1. Elsewhere in soccer today, it's Women's World Cup qualifying. The pick of the bunch is probably Norway versus Belgium. Those are two teams currently tied at the top of their qualification group. That game is at 1 p.m. Eastern on Paramount+. Plus. Later in the day and on the men's side, AC Milan has a chance to go top of Serie A with a tie or a win against Torino. That's at 2.45 p.m. on Paramount+. Plus. Also at 2.45 p.m. Eastern, we have two English League Cup games between Premier League sides. Chelsea hosts Southampton and Arsenal hosts Leeds United. Both of those will be on ESPN+. And finally, if you're looking for a nightcap after the Carly Lloyd retirement extravaganza, there's a big MLS Western Conference showdown. Seattle Sounders visit LAFC. The Sounders are fighting for top spot in the West, while LAFC needs a result to keep their playoff hopes on track. That is at 10.30 p.m. on ESPN. Thanks for listening to Soccer Every Day. This show is produced by Mike Zimmerman with help from John Hayes. You can get ad-free versions of the show by subscribing to The Athletic, and you can get 33% off a year's subscription by going to theathletic.com slash soccer every day. Thank you for listening, and happy soccer to you all. 
As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.